Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast. By the faithful and for the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today, live, well, taped at the Edmonton Journal with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. With David Staples, yeah. We're not in two separate offices talking across the whole city at one another. So we're totally out of our element here, but... We would be... Uh, at least I am. This is your your business office. Yeah, so. not here. We would be uh, on in different places, you in St. Albert and me in uh, South Edmonton, but um, Google has screwed us by getting rid of Google Hangouts. Good work, Google, you big stupid company. We are not happy about that, so we have to figure out a way to podcast remotely. If anyone has any suggestions on how we can talk to each other and make a podcast, remote podcast, which involves one simple step like Google Hangouts used to do, which we were actually quite thankful for. Yeah, yeah, get in touch with us. Uh, you can email me at dstaples at postmedia.com and uh, th- that'd be a big favor. Anyway, today we are uh, going to be talking about, we're doing our prospect series. We've been going through the prospect groups and we're going to talk about Today we're going to be talking about the, we're in the top 20, and we're going to be talking about the, the forwards who are in the top 20. And Bruce, of the top 20, how many are for, how many of the orders, top 20 prospects, how did the elite group of cult of hockey voters, yeah. rate, how many did we pick as forwards? We picked exactly seven out of 20 that are forwards, two, two would-be centers that might also play wing, and five wingers. Uh, compared to 10 defensemen and three goalies. So it's kind of a imbalancing, especially when you consider 21 and 22 are also goalies. So really just seven out of the top 22 are uh, uh, forwards compared to five goalies and 10 defensemen. So I guess that explains why Ken Holland had to pick a defenseman in the first round this year, because clearly, uh, you know, nine def- good defense pro- prospects wasn't quite enough. But. Well, apparently there, there were no good forwards at the top of the draft this yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what, what I everyone heard. was saying, right? Yeah, that's what I heard too. All yeah. those. <laughs> now, of course, we're 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 giving Holland a hard time, but who knows? And and we know historically that picks in that the range that the orders drafted in are coin flips. They're either they got about fifty percent chance of being good to great players, mm-hmm. and they have fifty percent chance of being mediocre to duds. So uh, maybe the owners got it right, and if Broberg turns out to be a great player, all, all is forgiven. If oh, he's a dud, heads will roll. I remember asking, "Who the hell is this uh, this Paul Coffey guy?" I wanted. I think it was Darren Beach. I wanted. Uh, who was the guy? Rick Lands at Vancouver took that draft, and I, you know, who's Paul Coffey? Kitchener Rangers? I don't, I don't know this guy. Anyway, we found out about him, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> You never, you usually never go wrong taking a, a player out of the OHL in the top ten picks, except the Oilers sometimes do. Sam Gagne. <coughs> All right, um, let's talk about the first one. We're going to talk about is Joe Jolton Joe Gambardella. Where have you gone? Where's he going? Joe Gambardella. Well, he's right on the cusp. You know, he's a tweener. And in fact, he finished last year with a 15-game stretch and. Uh, in Edmonton, and then when their season ended, then of course he went down to Bakersfield where he had an excellent playoff campaign, if I'm not mistaken, led the team in goals and points with 6 and 10 respectively, and his time in the NHL, he had some very good moments, and he had some other moments where he looked like a bottom sixer on a bottom six NHL team, and but he's a player, you know, 25 years old, a mature player, who became a free agent uh, 
you know, had his contract expired in June, and Ken Holland went uh, and he re-signed the major uh, sort of more veteran line in Bakersfield of Gambardella with uh, Brad Malone and Patrick Russell and basically brought back another entire layer of competition that the younger players, uh, that some of whom we're going to be talking about, will have to climb over to get into the NHL. Yeah, Joe Gambardella picked a hell of a night to have his best night in hockey. He had a five-point night, I think, sure and a hat-trick and two goals in a key playoff game mm-hmm. against San Diego when Ken Holland uh, was first hired, and it was, I think it might have been Ken Holland's first game watching the Oilers team, uh, Oilers pro team. So, but you know what, Joe, I really uh, liked Joe Gambardella's game in the playoffs, Mm -hmm. and every time I've seen him, including when he was with the Oilers, he really hustles, he battles, he hits, he has a good head for the game, he doesn't make a lot of mental mistakes, he's a solid defensive player, Um, he's limited by his, he's not that big, he's not that fast, so those are are fairly major limitations. Yeah, obviously. But he's got... um, a decent level of skill. Mm-hmm. Every level that the Joe Gambardella has played at, he's taken. He's been kind of pretty weak for a year, mediocre for a year, and then he has, um, in his second year, um, become a pretty good player. Uh, and that's held true, I think, um, in the uh, USHL, if that's where he was, uh, the in junior, in college, and with Bakersfield. So. I think this 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 he just strikes me, Bruce, as one of these guys, a Pisani like yeah. player. And there's a number of Pisani. That whole line was almost, yeah. except for Malone. Like both Russell and Gambardella have that quality. I personally like Gambardella more than Russell. Mm-hmm. I think he's a. I think he's just a, has slightly better hockey sense and a slightly better work ethic than mm-hmm. Russell. But that line was Bakersfield by far their best line in the playoffs. Yes, it was. That that line would have would have served the Oilers well probably last year as their fourth line it turns out because all hungry players in their twenties um, ready to give her give her snot mm-hmm. and uh, play some hockey uh, in in a in a role where you're where you're providing energy to the team so I I think he's got a chance Bruce although just look at the let's look at the roster here he's a mature prospect uh, that's what these guys are is, you know they're they're ready to roll it's not like they're four years away, uh, they're in position to help uh, the big team now. And, in fact, all those guys did play a bunch of games in Edmonton last year, uh, all three guys on that line. That, and the guys that can kill penalties, not that the Oilers need any decent penalty killers or anything. they got to get Castian off the penalty kill. Oh, I, I hope that's it. the first thing that Dave Tippett does. Is You know, well, we've had terrible penalty killing three years in a row. Zach Castian has been mm. a key part of that. So, Bruce, their depth, who do they got? Why don't you go down the list on the left wing? Oh, left wing, yeah. Well, we've got Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, I think he's secure as the number one left winger, seeing as how he scored about 80% of the goals from the left side last year. James Neal, of course, moves into uh, Milan Lucic's roster spot. Uh, and maybe That's a little further slow, up. Overpla- overpaid guy niche. Yeah, a little further up the, uh, up the depth chart, I would say second line. Uh, for Neil, and I don't know that Lucic was there anymore. Uh, uh, they, we, we know that he. he they was brought not in there. Michael Granlund, uh, experienced NHLer Michael Granlund, to play uh, uh, bottom six. Uh, Marcus Granlund, my bad. Michael's a good one. Uh, Marcus Granlund <laughs> <laughs> to, yeah. to kill penalties and play on the third line. 
uh, Swedish uh, veteran uh, <coughs> Joachim Nygaard on the fourth line, uh, and then they have AHL veteran uh, Joe Gambardella on the fifth line, and then beyond that, that's when you're getting into, this is the kind of competition that Tyler Benson, a very uh, excellent prospect, has to beat out to win a spot in the NHL, and my thinking is Benson can do that when he's ready, but until he's ready, he's not going to be forced into the uh, into the Oilers team uh, because they got no one else. I mean, they, they have uh, a number of guys that are uh, qualified bottom sixers at least. You know, the good news is if, let's say James Neal, like I, I, I take it as about a coin flip that Neal mm -hmm. turns out. If Neal doesn't turn out, mm -hmm. they can send him to the minors. He's not like Milan Lucic yes. where you have to have him on your NHL team. Right. They could send him to the minors this year and call up Gambardella or Tyler Benson. And uh, mm -hmm. he's not going to hold, like Lucic was going to hold those guys back. No it, matter just, what. it was just the definition of his contract. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but, but Benson and Gambardella and, and uh, Josh Curry and uh, Thomas Yerko are all in the running um, for an NHL job. I think one. I think they'll probably go with five left wingers. Although mm -hmm. they've kind of got five right wingers there too, don't they? But anyway, they'll probably. There's a chance that Gambardella could make it as the extra forward because yes. he can't play center. He's a utility player and he's also 25. You don't need. He doesn't need to spend any more time in Bakersfield. So, um, yeah, an interesting player and someone who might surprise everybody and carve out an NHL career uh, for three or four years. And um, uh, Very strong player on the forecheck. He's, uh, that's his game. He's just uh, all over that puck. Relentless. Um, I, I love that in him. All right, let's go next, Bruce, to uh, who's uh, Kirill Maximoff. All right. All right. Kirill the Thrill. He is a Russian player drafted in the fifth round of the 2017 draft. And the interesting thing about him is every year he's had an appreciable uh, increase in his goal scoring. Mm -hmm. It looked like this year early on that he was just going to explode at the OHL level and become like, like a 50-goal man down there and maybe get close to 100 points. He kind of leveled off. I think he. I think he might have got hurt. I'm not exactly he sure. He did get hurt late in the year, and it ruined his playoffs. And, oh yeah, he, he knocked out of the plus. But he so he had essentially the same kind of season as he had had the year before. But those are both very good seasons. He yes. had 40 goals, 79 points, and 63 games. Uh, he's a shooter, Bruce, and uh, good with a puck. What do you What do you think of? 118 pins too. So he's no shrinking violet, judging from that. That's nice. Oh uh, yeah, I don't mind it. And, what do you think of him? And a huge plus player on, on a very good team. My understanding is that his role changed a little bit uh, this past year in Niagara, that he wound up um, anchoring his second line as opposed to being on, on the top line, and he did a little bit more penalty killing, and they tried to round out his game a little bit more, which in the long term for developing the prospect is the kind of stuff you want to hear, even if you're saying, well, he just held fast at 80 points, he didn't show any improvement. If you're holding fast at 80 points while your role is changing to a more well-rounded one, well then you're improving and I think uh, uh, this is a forward with a, with a long-term chance. He's turning pro now and, and uh, uh, we can fully expect him to spend at least an entire one full year in Bakersfield probably two. Oh yeah, he's, he's a, uh, so he's a shooter Mm -hmm. And um, Alan Mitchell Lotai did an interesting piece at the Athletic recently on Maximov, where he was com comparing 
people who in the OHL who had similar kind of scoring years mm-hmm. as 19-year-olds to Maximov. And, and, the, and the, the news wasn't surprising. It's kind of really iffy, like right. whether he's going to make it or not. Like mm-hmm. some of these players really turn out and some of them really don't turn mm-hmm. out. And Maximov was more in the group of players who tend not to turn out. But again, like these are kind of group studies. And we all rate players this way. I do this kind of stuff all the time because it's useful. It's, it's interesting to know the general odds of this kind of player, but every player is an individual. And it often comes down to mm-hmm. things we don't know about work ethic and intangibles. We don't know these things about Maximov. We do know that he, when he came to training camp last year, he didn't play very well. After shining in the training camp the previous year, um, last mm-hmm. year it was kind of a disappointment. We were all expecting really great things, and he was kind of faded into the work, woodwork rather quickly. Um, I think it uh, sounds like Tippett's going to go with a rather quick training camp. I don't expect to see a lot of Maximov at our training camp this year. But I do, the whole key for him, is going to be he's got to get on one of the top two lines in Bakersfield, mm-hmm. and um, let's just go look at our handy dandy depth chart, and that's uh, so easier said than done when you're bringing back the whole top six from last well, year, right? You know, so Patrick Russell and Yamamoto were there, so yeah. if those guys are there, he's he's third line, and he's not on the power play because Yamamoto's on the of that power play spot most probably, although the, the Yamamoto can play the other side. Too. Yeah, well, I think uh, Maximov himself, he's a right shot, but he likes to play left side. So that on is the power a, play? A, the, the, or well, even, strength. even strength. But not on the power so play. That's, well, probably, if he's a right shot, he probably does like Oh, excuse me, you're right. Side. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah. See, he's not a left wing, though. He's a right wing. He, he uh, well, they, when they drafted him, he was listed as a right shooting left wing. Oh. But anyway, he was... Um, um, oh, I didn't see him play last year to know exactly how he was being deployed, uh, but uh, other than winger, which is, uh, but I think he's capable of both. And he's one of those pure shooters. He's got a great release. And those guys tend to like playing on their off wing where they get uh, the forehand into the middle of the ice. The puck gets to them a little quicker and they can, uh, a little better angle for the quick release. See, this is a situation Mm -hmm. where um, with a player like Patrick Russell or Josh Curry, if if they don't make the Oilers this year, mm-hmm. it's almost like the coach has got to make a decision in Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. Do I continue to play Patrick Russell and um, Josh Curry in leading roles, or is it time to say no? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with uh, you know Ryan McLeod, and I'm going to give an opportunity to Carol Maximov. And I think this is a real test for Woodcroft. Yep. Um, he can't, like, I don't think, if Patrick Russell doesn't make the orders this year, mm-hmm. he doesn't need to play top minutes in, in Bakersfield just to stay healthy and, and, and like, it, for in a call-up situation to be ready to go for the orders in case they need someone. He could play on the third line and, and penalty kill and be ready to go. But Maximov needs, I think, that second-line treatment. And so he's going to have to earn it. Like, But the coach also has to give opportunity, and they don't always do that. Like, they use the excuse he didn't earn it, but sometimes an excuse mm-hmm. like, I just want to win. And this is always the, the, the struggle for the HL level coach. As a rookie pro, I would set the bar a little bit lower. I want him to be a regular on the team. I want him in the top nine. Uh, you know, he's probably going to be down there two years. If he's not on the top six by the second year, then there's trouble. But, uh, you know, he's, there's going to be a little feeling out period for him. And, and uh, uh, it wouldn't surprise me that he starts off in, in a lesser role and, and, uh, you know, works his way up from there because I mean, he's he and McLeod and some of these other fellows will all be getting their feet wet as uh, professionals, and so that, you know that's a big transition. 
it's so, it's a fair comment, Bruce. If he's in the top nine, that would probably be like if he gets like thirty points mm-hmm. as a top nine forward. Um, I'd like that, to see him on the power. That line, wouldn't. But that that might be an okay. What I'm talking about it. If he's going to be an NHLer, like if he's marked yes. to be an NHLer, mm-hmm. yeah, he can make the third line and he can still make the NHL by having a good second year in the NHL. Right. But if he's if he's going to break through and be an a real sign would be that he plays in the top six and he succeeds there. So maybe right. he can force his way into that. Well, role. if he's good enough and he and and he does force the issue, then that's great. Obviously, that's uh, that's the best news possible. But uh, he's uh, I just not going to set the initial expectations of top six or bust. That's all. Like it's a it's uh, sometimes these guys need a year or part of a year to adjust and, and find their way, and the fact there's competition at the Bakersfield level is is crucial. And the, uh, I guess part of the issue is well, some of the top top six guys in Bakersfield force their way onto the Oilers because if they do that, then that op- opens up opportunities. And ultimately, what we'd like to see in the organization is what Chiarelli used to call churn, where you move, you know, you have upwards movement. You have guys graduating from the minors to the big league team and guys on the big league team graduating from the bottom six to the top six and newcomers moving into the roles on the minor league team that uh, that wasn't there before. One of the, one of the really remarkable issues about our um, um, prospects list this year is that last year's top ten prospects are all still prospects. Not one of them has graduated to the NHL. Not one of them has left the organization. So there's a there's this log jam uh, where the new guys are now added to this other list of prospects and not just the new draft choices but there's uh, some pretty key guys turning pro of which Maximov is one, McLeod is one and of course on the back end Samarkov and Bouchard are turning pro. There's got to be some upward movement from other players in those positions to uh, to open up uh, open up a couple doors for these guys. Yeah, the guy in the bubble for me in Bakersfield would be Josh Curry, who mm-hmm. I see as probably the, of the veteran guys. The, the, the you know he, he looked okay in moments in Edmonton, but mm-hmm. didn't have a great playoff uh, in Bakersfield, and he's 27 in October. Right, pretty clear indication that he's probably not an NHLer, and that's someone you know who might conceivably get first or second line action in Bakersfield and I would ask okay you really better earn it and you really better mm-hmm. be significantly different because otherwise why are we doing this it's just right. it's why do that um, why him play him over Maximov would be uh, right. the question that Woodcroft has to has to be asking himself on a daily basis like he's got to make the right call here and he's got to think about the future not just about the present uh, let's talk about another Bakersfield player this coming year it's going to be Ryan McLeod so he's a big, fast center, taken 40th overall in the 2018 draft. And uh, he's one of those guys, just like um, Raphael Lavoie, who fell to the Oilers, who, who, like all of the scouting services, had ranked about 20 to 25, 20 to 30, just like Lavoie, mm-hmm. and fell considerably to the Oilers. Now, it's interesting, the psychology of fans, when that happens to me. It's like, yeah, the Oilers scored this great coup, everybody says. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> What you're saying when you say that is all of those experts on the NHL teams passed. They passed. Like the real experts. Mm-hmm. We're excited because we think the real experts essentially got it wrong. And this and the amateur experts who do these scouting lists got it right. Well, some of them are amateurs and some of them aren't. I some mean, of them are McKenzie, professionals. The McKenzie list is uh, yeah. full-fledged uh, Fair enough. pro scouts. But know. it is a little bit of a weird thing to get excited about is my only point. Like oh. it's it's... 
it doesn't it doesn't mean necessarily you got this great bargain. Mm-hmm. What it means is the Oilers are well, the Oilers have them rated higher than the other professional scouts do. I guess okay. is what it means. Well, what we have in the case of Ryan McLeod is a big guy, six three, two hundred five already, um, who can skate like the wind, who can play center and wing, and who's scored at the at the rate of about one point per game. Uh, in his last two OHL seasons, which isn't great for an OHL. Well, his, his draft year was pretty. Forward. His draft year was pretty good, although he was at the very old end of his draft yeah. class. So he only had one year of, uh, left, and he split that year between Mississauga Steelheads, where he scored 38 points in 32 games, and then he went to Saginaw, a much better team, where he scored just 24 points in 31 games. So his point total dropped down. But his plus-minus went from minus 12 in Mississauga to plus 18 in, in uh, Saginaw, which speaks to team strength. And he had and almost a, clearly speaks to a change in role, that he was probably given a, a 2C spot as opposed to one first-line sort of yeah, star player a, duty in, in his previous role. And, and uh, his team did well, and, and he did all right. He just didn't rack up the big points. They have this um, 16-year-old kid, Cole Perfidi, as their mm-hmm. top line center, I believe in Saginaw. So I, I think he's he's a second line center at the OHL level and a, a two way player. So what we've seen of him in development camps has been kind of thrilling on a certain level because man, that guy can, can really skate. skate. And he, he, I think, he really impressed Todd McClellan last mm-hmm. um, last training camp. He actually earned. Did he? He went deep into camp. He got sent back the same day the Oilers flew overseas. Was the day they sent Ryan yeah. McClellan back. I'm just wondering if he, he didn't play any, and, you know, no. that's right, because he went to Europe and he didn't yeah. play any but NHL stuck, games. But he stuck right to the end of training camp, and there was only five centers <laughs> well, left you could, at you that could time. Well, you could see, but, like, you, you're thinking, but, you're Tom McLeod, and you're thinking, okay, we signed this Kyle Brodziak, yeah. and you're watching him play, and he is so slow. He is so slow. And you're thinking, I could, as my fourth-line center, I can have him, but look at this kid. He is just a force ripping up and down the ice. And mm-hmm. that must have been awfully tempting to Todd McClellan yeah. to think, Maybe that's the right choice. Maybe, mm-hmm. and pff, maybe it would have been the right choice. Who knows? But uh, well, I think it's obviously that would have been like promoting. An, that would have been like promoting a nineteen year old or twenty year old Anton Lander to your fourth line center. Right. Didn't do Anton Lander any favors. Wouldn't have done McLeod. So again, the orders are taking the right, and it's such a relief. Such a relief. The orders mm-hmm. are taking the right path with McLeod. He's going to be in the AHL for one or mm-hmm. two or three years, however right. long it takes, and maybe. By the end of that, they'll have a player who's figured out his role. His role, it's highly unlikely it's going to be as a top line or second line center in the right. NHL. It's probably going to be as a third line mm-hmm. or fourth line checking two-way center um, who's got a bit of offense and some real speed. And if he can figure that out, figure mm-hmm. out especially the defensive side of that game and become a, just a total lockdown defensive player in his own zone, always be on the right side of the puck, be completely mm-hmm. defensive responsible, McLeod can figure that out. He's got a chance as as an Edmonton Oiler, um, not this year, but as early as next year. Yeah, he projects certainly projects as a three or four C, or even potentially a winger. But uh, uh, bottom bottom six, I'd be very surprised to see him wind up as a top sixer in his career. Yeah, uh, which is different from saying he's not a useful player. Uh, one of the issues the Oilers have had in recent years is that they haven't been developing their own 
depth players. Where's or the Fernando Persanis? Where's the do, Sean Horkoffs? Yeah, they, they trade him away for magic beans. Where's the Jason Chimeras yeah. and the Jarrett Stoles? Yeah, where's the Kyle? Bra- Oops, wait a minute. They brought him back after nine years of his heart of his career doing good stuff for other teams. But you know what I mean. And they, we have a table to they, bang they, our heads on here. They Bruce. developed these guys, the Andrew Cogliano and and so on, and then by you know, and it's just so frustrating. Uh, anyways, they they they. That's something they really need to turn the page on. And if you look at any good team, any contending team, you look at their roster, sure, they always have core players in their top six, but also in their bottom six and throughout the defense that have come up through and played with that team. And they're not always, you know, the $8 million star players that you say, well, that guy is a, um, you know, Boston Bruin or St. Louis Blue through and through because, they, you know, they've done the whole journey. And they have that team's tattoo on their on their butt, as the old saying goes. And the Oilers need to have more of that. They've got, uh, I mean, I wrote about this extensively last year, how often the, uh, how the Oilers have no players uh, that they've kept for 10 years after their draft, like none. Nuge and Clefbaum, in two years' time, if neither of them gets traded, which is always a big if, will be the first, in, I think since Alish Hemsky, who will be able to stick around for as many as 10 years out from their, their draft. And so, sure, you, you can go out and grab these pieces here and there, but you've got to have still that, that uh, pipeline bubbling up from underneath within your own organization, and, and that includes potential third-line players like Ryan McLeod. Cooper Marodi. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a favorite of mine. I think... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got a lot of bad, a lot when people talk like the, when the, I don't think the coach or coaches particularly like Cooper Marodi when he came up, there seems to be a kind of a stigma against him, but I kind of liked him when he was with the Oilers. I thought, frick, here's a guy who can make a pass. Like, how many wingers did they have last year who could even make a pass? And, no. <laughs> they, they, it, was, it was a small list. So the, he, he's 22. He's, at the AHL level, he's the Patrick Kane of that team. Like, he dangles Very with the puck. Sick, eh? Uh, at the AHL level, he he's the driver of that line. With he was with Tyler Benson and Josh Curry, skittering around the ice in the offensive zone, cycling it around the offensive end, more than a point per game mm-hmm. in his rookie season rookie, in yeah. the AHL. Now he was a, he's not a, a twenty year old rookie. He's a twenty two year old rookie right. last year. Turned twenty two. He'll be twenty three. He's the same age, almost exactly as Connor McDavid. Yeah. But Bruce, this is a player who has top six outside top six potential in the NHL. On the wing, not as a center, he's a center in the age. I don't see him having the speed for that. But on the wing, this guy can make some plays and keep the puck alive. He's got great vision. I like him. He's really good along the boards. And he won a ton of battles, uh, even in his, well, I won't say a ton because he didn't get a ton of ice time in Edmonton, but he impressed with his ability to come out of board battles with the puck. And he actually got three recalls in his uh, in his rookie season, which maybe was a bit premature, but he got uh, called up in October, November, and December. Uh, and the first call-up, he played a fair bit of wing. The second time, he played a small amount of center, like five minutes a game. And the third time, he sat in the press box and never saw the ice. So, you know, it's not like progress was being made from one call-up to the next, but they had him on the top of their recall list. And he showed decently, certainly, for... Uh, Especially in that October recall, he looked very good. And you that's know, when he played the most. On the right side, like if Neil's on the left side, if mm-hmm. Pugliarvi isn't back, they might have a pretty big hole there yeah, exactly. for an attacking winger. <laughs> I mean, Archibald, Chase on and Cassian. I, Chase on and Cassian, if you, you have to blink, you have to look 
kind of squint pretty hard to see a top line or a second line winger and out of those Ga- two guys. And Gagne. And Gagne. Well, not, Gagne is not a first or second line winger, I don't well, think. Neither a, is Jason. He's a skill winger, so that's where he's going to try and find yeah. a spot. But I, if, if Gagne's in the top six, then... Uh, but Marodi, you know, you put Marodi with R&H and Neil, like maybe that could work because um, he can carry the puck and he can make a play. All right. Raphael Lavoie, he's another mm-hmm. one of these he's massive kid, a 6'4", 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. He can shoot the hell out of that puck, Bruce. And um, in the playoffs, uh, so he had kind of an okay regular season for the Halifax Moosehead, mm-hmm. 73 points in 62 games. But in the playoffs, Bruce, 20 goals in 23 games. Pretty sweet, and he fell to the Oilers at 38 in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, a shooter, another shooter. So this is, uh, in terms of pure, pure shooters, mm-hmm. I'd say that the they've got uh, Leon Draisaitl, of course, yes. James Neal now, mm-hmm. and uh, Maximov and Lavoie bubbling up from below, but but a ways away. Right. Lavoie is currently trying out for Team Canada mm-hmm. uh, to play on the World Junior Team. So we saw him a little bit in uh, the development camp. What did you make of him? Yeah, he's another um, oldest end of his draft class. He just missed by a few days, just like Ryan McLeod last year. He just missed by a few days of being in the in the previous draft. Um, but he, uh, uh, so he's only got one year more of junior, and he'll be turning pro in a year, almost for sure. Um, but as you say, he's a huge guy. He does have a he does have a good shot in development camp. I got a. Uh, kind of a both sides view of the guy. He, some moments very impressive, and sometimes where he just clearly lost the battle, got on the wrong side of the of the battle, or or made a, a in the scrimmage lazy play with the puck, didn't clear the zone properly. Had a couple of problems with that in that three on three drill where he had to come out of the zone clean with the puck, and he just sort of slacked off at the wrong moment and, and turned it over or didn't make the pass. Uh, so lots of rough edges, but I mean, what would you expect if the guy is uh, uh, a 20-goal playoff man who's six foot four, right-hand shot? Uh, he's not going to be perfect across the board. Obviously, there's going to be parts of his game that need to be developed. Uh, presumably, uh, more progress will be made this year, and then he'll get into the pro chain. As a second-round pick, he's not the sort of player who would be expected to immediately step into the NHL. And frankly, David, I think those days are done, except for the very, very elite guys. And hopefully we won't be having too many more top 10 draft choices either that uh, will produce such players. So he, he too, is a, a couple of years off. I wonder about the work ethic. I certainly don't wonder about the talent because the talent is, is, is there. And if he applies the talent, he's a, he's a serious prospect. Yeah, I heard him on TV talking about he's off McDonald's now and he's going to eat a better okay. diet. So well, that's, a, that's an improvement. You know, get serious for these young guys. Day. They get mm-hmm. drafted and like that's when the work does begin and some of them get serious and figure it out. So hopefully he's one of them. All right, we, we are moving on to Kyler Yamamoto. And, mm-hmm. and this time about uh, two years ago, oil country was sky high, absolutely over the moon, including myself. Mm-hmm. Like probably yourself. I'm not going to speak for you, though. Mm-hmm. About Kyler Yamamoto because he went into one of those world junior showcase things and, oh, right. and absolutely mm-hmm. dazzled everybody. He was just mm-hmm. fantastic. He looked mm-hmm. like like this uh, rising star, like the new Denny Savard uh, at best, maybe Jordan <laughs> Eberle at worst. Like the new, yeah. And that's what I've been counting on. That's what I've been hoping for, is a Jordan Eberle uh, kind of winger out of him because he, he scored at kind of a similar rate in a lot of ways to Eberle as a junior hockey player. 
and he's a similar pocket-sized player, a finesse player with, with a lot of skill, a very smart player. Um, maybe a lacking a little bit in terms of being a shooter, um, like Everly, more of a, a passer, although a, a clever enough, obviously a very clever offensive player. He's had two test runs in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. In some ways, he hasn't looked bad, except he hasn't produced anything. He hasn't been terrible, but he's mm -hmm. he's he's got, what do we got, 26, uh, 26 games and one goal at the NHL level. That's not going to... Mm -hmm. keep you that's not what Jordan Everly did when he came to the NHL right he was good to go he was more he ready to go first game of course he was older than Yamamoto yes yeah at least a year older than Yamamoto because Yamamoto's was, another of these early birthdays so he, he was yeah Yamamoto's September uh second half of September so again like uh, like McLeod like uh Lavoie uh he had only one more year of junior uh his draft pedigree at number 22 was identical to Jordan Everly. Uh, right wing, right shooting, right wing from the Western Hockey League. There was uh, reasons to make that comparison, and not least of which was the scoring prowess. I mean, he scored 99 points in his draft year. I believe he had the most points of any player in that draft. That was more than Everly and, scored too, right? And, like Everly, yeah, Everly was more of a his, point per in, game guy. Everly in his draft got to year. 106, but only after in his draft plus two year. So the Oilers. Uh, they brought him up for those nine games right away in, in uh, 2017. They were so desperate. Yeah, yeah, I think that was a mistake. Did send him back to Spokane. It took him a while to get his his uh, stuff together, but he wound up, you know, 64 points in 40 games his last year in Spokane. And then last year again, Edmonton, they had such a hole in top six right wing that they were giving him and pulled the RV, and they, they had them both up for uh, several weeks, and then they sent both of them down on the same day. And... That was all well and good until he got hurt. He banged up his wrist in um, Bakersfield, and that kind of messed up his season. I mean, he he, did, he got 10 goals in 27 games, right? That's a 30-goal pace for 82 games. through season. the year. And, there he, was, and he never played in the playoffs at yeah, all. Yeah, that was really disappointing. Yeah. I was so looking forward to seeing him mm -hmm. in the playoffs because that's when I tune into Bakersfield, like the older season's over. Right. So we can focus on Bakersfield. <laughs> and he just was, he was injured, and that was a real disappointment, I'm sure, mostly mm -hmm. for him, that he wasn't able to, to compete mm -hmm. at that level because we would have got a real sense of him and, and his game. Yeah, 10 goals in 27 games isn't bad for an AHL rookie. Let's, you know, so he is, he sounds like he's slotted for the AHL this year. Um, and what we need to see from Kyler Yamamoto is top line, point of game. Um, mm -hmm performance from Yamamoto um, that will be the signifier and if we see that for 20 or 30 f games if he's getting like if he gets like 35 points in his first 30 games yeah. I think that should be within reach um, then we could say he's oh ready. yeah he'll be ready for the NHL mm -hmm. and we'll see him then but we and the good news is I think we won't see him until he does that right we, we will first see that predicator of NHL success which we've never seen historically for about a de decade with the uh, Oilers players uh, especially the young first-round picks. Well, he had, uh, of his 10 goals, six were on the power play. So you could say, well, maybe he had a hot stick there, or maybe he's good on the power play. But, you know, may maybe those 10 goals is a little bit of a mirage. On the other hand, he was productive on the power play, uh, and yet he's, he's sporting a plus-minus of plus 12 in 27 games. Uh which is, I mean, obviously plus minus is problematic, but it, on a really good if, team. If like you're outscoring consistently, uh, I mean, to get double digits plus in a third of a season, uh, even on a good team, he was carrying his weight. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't getting caved. I'd love to see him healthy, and yeah. I'd love to see him because you know what we saw 
two summers ago was a really exciting offensive hockey player. And yes. he does have that in him. He's got a real spark. It takes, he, but like he's got to get bigger, stronger. Like he, he's so small. He, he, but he does have to get a little bit bigger and stronger because he, mm-hmm. he plays a bit of a physical game. Mm-hmm. He uses his body. Mm-hmm. And um, so all 153. Pounds. He's got to get a better base. <laughs> yeah, I happened to be at that that game last year. It was against the Bruins, where he scored his his one goal. Oh, and yeah. He just pulled everybody out of our seats. It was it was a great great. Great headman pass from Adam Larson of all people, and he burst wide around the defense and managed to beat Tuka Rask for our side, and and uh, a very very nice play. Um, but that's the one goal, and in the NHL, obviously he's as an offensive player, he needs to find a way to put the biscuit in the basket. Tyler Benson, the last player on our list for today, mm-hmm. Bruce. Mm. Uh, so he had a very checkered junior career. I remember uh, when he was drafted, he was the the first or the second player taken in the in the um, second round. So Bob Green apparently was like up all night. He couldn't get to sleep because he was just hoping and praying to get Tyler Benson. That Benson wouldn't uh, would would be there. I guess he must have been the second player taken. So someone else had a chance to take him with the thirty uh, first pick, and uh, the orders got him at thirty second overall. Of course, famously. Um, Brinkat, Alex Brinkat was taken later, and, and everyone piles on the orders for that. Of course, thirty-seven or thirty-eight teams, whatever it was, had a chance to take Alex Brinkat, and uh, they didn't do it. Until Even she- Chicago had a chance to take him earlier and didn't. So yeah. You know. So I, I don't engage in that kind of analysis of drafts. Well, I don't do it because I think it's, I think it's stupid. Um, Unless, unless you were the guy on that, dra- right unless you were that time. guy and right at the time, and there were people, so fair them. enough. Unless you're that guy, but then let's remember the ten other times when you were that guy saying, "Let's take Robbie Shrimp or something like that," and you got it wrong. Like so, you know, yeah, fair enough. If you were that guy, though, you can bring up the brinkhead. Anyway, Tyler Benson, Bruce, he had just a fantastic year at the he AHL did. level last year. Sixty-six points in sixty-eight games. He stayed healthy. He was he had seven points in ten playoff games. He wasn't as good in the playoffs, um, but his underlying numbers that we tracked, his scoring chance numbers, were actually pretty good. They were the the other than that top line of Malone, Gambardella, and um, uh, Russell. Uh, Russell. He was the next best forward on the team. That's without his Cooper Marody for much of the time and Josh Curry not playing very well. So Tyler Benson, uh, he's got a couple at least one elite NHL skill, and that's his vision on the ice. Mm-hmm. He can make a pass. He can yeah. really pass. Good and man. it just makes me think, wow, one day, maybe soon, with, mm-hmm. with Dreisaitl. I, I, mm-hmm. For some reason, I think Dreisaitl more than McDavid, but maybe with McDavid. Here's mm-hmm. a winger who can keep up with them uh, mentally and hit them with a pass and knows mm-hmm. where to go. He's a good positional player. And his other really good skill is his board work. He's very, very strong on the boards. So two things to highly recommend this player with his oh. strong production last and those year. Those two things go together. You win a board battle and make make a pass. All of a sudden, you got a scoring chance just like that. And it's my image of him. His his ability to pass. Uh, what impressed me is the timing. Like the lane will open up for a split second, and that's when the puck is going through it. Perfectly weighted often I mean obviously not every pass is perfect but but the ones that that connect are where almost he passes when you wouldn't expect and that's how he beats a defenseman 
this, you know, that split second opening and bang, and, and he'll see the guy that's breaking into the opening and, and put it on the tape where the guy's in position to do something with it. And <clears throat> that came through in the tune of 51 assists in 68 games as an AHL rookie, which is highly impressive. Now, one of the things you'll hear, Bruce, is like, don't rush this guy to the NHL. And here's the... They already didn't rush him. They already him. didn't. This is the point. <laughs> you, you, they, got, they got it. Like, there's people... It's like we, we're going to go from one extreme to the next. What you have to realize about young attacking forwards who have mm-hmm. top six potential is they don't generally speak and need a lot of time right. in the AHL. They need... Right. A lot of them need a year. Yes. yes a lot of them need a year. year no good. doubt about it. And a lot of them do exactly what Tyler Benson did in that year. They rip it up mm-hmm. in the AHL. But then they don't need another year to rip it up in the AHL. He's already done it. Now, I'm not saying he, it, it's going to hurt him if he goes back mm-hmm. to the AHL. I don't believe it. But I don't know how much it helps him. Right. It, it, he might go back there and get another... He might put up a point a game again or put up a little bit more than that. But he, listen, he is ready for the NHL. If he's going to make it in the NHL, this is a, as good a time as any. He's He doesn't need any more. He's overripe. He's, he's at ripe. least he's ripe. He's, ripe. he's he's at least ripe. Yeah. And the Oilers have a crying need mm-hmm. for attacking wingers. And mm-hmm. there's all kinds of cur- uh, permutations and combinations because both Neil and Dreisaitl, mm-hmm. who are slotted in right now on the left side there, can play the other side, or Dreisaitl can play center. Yes. So Benson has an opportunity to force his way onto the team. Mm-hmm. I think it's a real possibility that's going to happen in training camp, and it mm-hmm. will make sense for that to happen because he, he can combine so well with players like McDavid and Dreisaitl, and Neil, and Nugent Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's... Um, uh, He's a very bright prospect at this point in time. I I, I do also take issue with uh, the school of thought that any player on an entry-level contract, because they have freedom to send them down to the uh, AHL without uh, any waiver process, that they should just spend the second and even the third year down in the AHL. You know, you look at any self-respecting NHL team, and even some of the ones that aren't that good, you're going to find... two, three, four players on entry-level contracts who are, in many cases, outperforming the, you know, because the, they're all getting paid under a million bucks, at least their base salary, uh, who are outperforming that. You know, the last Oiler, last season, last entry-level contract player who played a game for the Oilers was Yasef Pogliarvi on February 15th, and they played the whole stretch drive of the season in garbage time, and they didn't have a single entry-level player even on the on, on the roster. They weren't ready. I, I, it was the right move for the situation that they had, but that should not ever be the norm, that you don't have young players. I mean, the youngest player, the Oilers only have three guys on the, on the team who were born after 1994. And that speaks to the Poor draft record at Stu McGregor's yeah. final years, well, 2012, 2013, 2014. Um, the inability to get a couple mm-hmm. players that, you know, and that's all you need, right? So, um, I mean, the, the three guys I have born after 94 were Darnell Nurse, first round pick in 2013. Yeah. Leon Dreisaitl, first round pick in 2014. Connor McDavid, first round pick in 2015, all in the top 10 in the draft. And nothing else that's under 24 years of age on the entire NHL roster. It's just mind-boggling to me that uh, that it could have got to such an extent. So some of these guys have got to start coming up. And I think we're going to be talking about defensemen that also have that that opportunity. Uh, But it's only normal and proper for 
uh, guys in the Tyler Benson class to get their chance sometime during the second year. If he doesn't make it out of camp, there's still every chance we could see him by Christmas. All right, let's leave it there, Bruce. Thanks for talking today. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.